This week's episode features some live World War II era munitions being sold on eBay, among other reselling news, and a look back at my top 10 sales from last week that do not include a bomb. What is up, Galaxians? Welcome to another edition of the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. I haven't actually called this show that for a while, and I need to get back in the habit of doing that. <laughs> uh, if this is your first time stopping by, my name is Ryan, and I am a full-time reseller, part-time YouTuber, and podcaster working out of my home here in the Batcave. And this channel, it's all about the flip life. Like I said, in today's episode, we're going to take a look at my week last week and some some interesting sales, a top 10 list, if you will. But first, we're going to kick it off with... News updates. A pretty big reselling news update. There was a lot going on last week in the wide world of resale. We're going to start with Etsy. Uh, article on a local news channel somewhere. I don't even know where this is. WTOP News. Um, a, as masks fall out of fashion, Etsy sellers ask themselves, now what? A <laughs> uh, recent easing of mask wearing guidelines from the U.S. government was a welcome change for many Americans. That wasn't entirely the case for mask seller Gabriela Enriquez. Uh, quote, I immediately called and texted my friends who were working for me making masks through the pandemic and said, this wasn't good news for us, she said. Uh, she is from Pennsylvania. She said orders to her Etsy store, Little Lady a homemade for her handmade masks plunged more than 70% immediately the day after the U.S. Centers for Disease Control and Prevention announced on May 13th that masks were not going to be required in many indoor settings for people who had already been vaccinated. She said, quote, the market just dropped. I had a phenomenal last year in sales. Now what? Where do we go from here? Obviously, last year, the pandemic, as this article points out, turned face masks into a wardrobe staple. Sellers big and small benefited from the trend. Etsy said cloth masks had erupted into the hottest new product category on its platform last summer in August. And we talked about this last summer. The company said 110,000 sellers on its marketplace had sold already as many as 29 million masks, totaling 346 million dollars sellers like enriquez spent the past year investing more than hundred and fifty thousand dollars in her mask business and are now trying to figure out how to successfully pivot to something else we talked about this more at the time and how it related to etsy's overall performance that eventually pandemics just by their nature eventually end. they burn themselves out or they find a cure and suddenly it's over and something that you created to limit the threat of that that you were selling was suddenly going to be not worthless, but certainly not selling at the pace that it was previously and how that was going to affect Etsy's sales at large because they had shown, obviously, phenomenal growth. We didn't really cover how this was going to affect individual sellers, and here we are now in this time where if you are a mask seller and maker, what are, what are you going to do? How are you going to pivot into something else? You can let me know in the comments below, or if you're listening to the podcast, you can send me an email at galaxycds 
at gmail.com. The article goes on to point out uh, there are a few sellers who have pivoted already into other items. Uh, She is making baby slings with her unused fabric. So she has already pivoted. Another seller, uh, Charlotte Melcher, came across a, a, a new direction during a conversation with the owner of a local chicken feed store. She's going to make chicken aprons. I don't have chickens. I never have heard of such a thing. She had. She does have chickens of her own. She said she, the this chicken feed store owner needed to sell them at her store and that she should seriously look into it. The apron apparently looks like a small baby's bib. It's worn on the back rather than down the front, and it's designed to protect the chicken's feathers and skin from roosters during mating. Who knew? (laughs) Uh, But apparently, she's going to start making these aprons, pricing them at $12 each, and they will soon appear in her store. So there are options for you out there if you're the kind of person that has a bunch of material that you've purchased over the last year to make cloth masks. You may still be able to sell some masks. Some people that I have talked to personally kind of feel like they, at least for the next several months are going to continue to wear masks, but obviously this business is changing dramatically and pretty quickly. Uh, Sticking with Poshmark, they have an article out. It's on e-commerce bites, and of course I will link to all of these in the show notes and the video description below. Poshmark recommends three new listing tools for boosting sales. These three tools are Style Tags, Price Suggester, and Seller Discounted Shipping. Uh, the firm says style tags are the newest way for buyers to find items. Quote, simply add style descriptors, think silhouette, trend, aesthetic, etc., directly to your listing so it's easier for buyers to search and find your items. The price suggester can help sellers find an optimal price for items based on similar sold listings on Poshmark. To use this feature, they say, just fill in the title, category, and original price of your listing, and the price range will automatically populate. Poshmark also has encouraged sellers to lower their shipping costs by offering discounted shipping using the seller discounted shipping tool. You've got a bit of a trade-off here of the things that you can offer and what you're willing to pay to do them. Obviously, creating tags and doing this extra research is a consumer of your time while lowering the price of the shipping is a direct hit to your margin. But... Poshmark does say that both of these things, or all three of these things, rather, should help increase your traffic and your sales. They also noted on a blog post on another note that they were celebrating their two-year anniversary of Poshmark Canada, boasting that over 2.5 million Canadian users have listed nearly half a billion dollars worth of inventory. They say since we launched in May of 2019, we have rerouted over 200,000 pounds from landfills in jeans alone, extending the lifespan of items we own and reducing our environmental impact while supporting a generation of entrepreneurs and shoppers. So good on Poshmark. Uh, Interesting that they're able to kind of quantify that statistic. Uh, One last thing on Poshmark. It was a busy week over there. Uh, They are announcing that they're running a special offer for buyers using the Google Pay wallet. They're running a promotion encouraging shoppers to sign up and pay with a credit card through Google Pay. This promotion targets shoppers who have not 
used Google's wallet on Poshmark. They must use a link in an email invitation that they should be receiving if they haven't already to download Google Pay and activate the offer in the app. They must then make a purchase of $30 or more on Poshmark using the card associated with that Google Pay account. And if they jump through those hoops, they'll receive a $10 cashback on their Google Pay account. So if you are a Poshmark buyer, be on the lookout for this email and use that link. The promotion enrollment period is from May 3rd through June 30th. So there's a little over a month left to go on this thing. Moving on to Amazon. Amazon over the last few weeks has kicked off a bunch of pretty substantial online sellers. Uh, most people wouldn't recognize apparently a lot of these names. Of course, a lot of them are big kind of Chinese firms who specialize in electronics, but two of them that you may, and you may actually own something already from these firms are MPAL, which I actually own a set of MPAL Bluetooth wireless headphones, which are terrific by the way. <laughs> uh, and Aki, uh, who made like cables and connectors and adapters and that sort of thing. It's pretty rare that Amazon kicks off sellers, especially big sellers who are doing significant volume. In this case, they believe that it goes back to these firms essentially paying for positive feedback. It is against Amazon's rules to pay people for glowing feedback, but it is also an open secret that bought off or otherwise game reviews are common on Amazon and a lot of other websites. This article uh, goes on to say, can we really even trust online feedback, especially on Amazon, when it's so easy to game the system? One of the big selling points of the internet was kind of group think. So you have this mass of people who are reviewing a product, and even if you have a few potential cheats in the system, by and large, the reviews on mass should be accurate. But some of these firms have spent so much money and solicited so much positive feedback that they have essentially tricked the system. They've overridden the people. Uh, the biggest question apparently at this point is, did Amazon catch these merchants on their own or were they pressured to do it? Uh, the less charitable view, of course, is that they were pressured to do it. Uh, Vox's Recode did a publication and reported that pressure from the FTC led to the suspension of at least one seller and a computer security recommendation website recently uncovered a database of Amazon merchants organizing payments in return for about 13 million glowing reviews. That particular disclosure happened almost immediately before these Amazon bans came down. So the moral of the story is <laughs> uh, don't try to game the feedback system and that these big platforms, eBay, Amazon, Poshmark, it's it's their playground and they can kind of do whatever they want uh, and they can ban you at any time if you don't play by their rules. Uh, interesting article on Chain Store Age, CSA, the business of retail. There's an exclusive Q&A with uh, Tom Pinckney, the VP of stores for eBay, about the, how the company is promoting and trying to develop stores within eBay. Um, I'm not going to go through this whole article. I will link to it. 
go and check it out if you're interested in learning a little bit more about how eBay views stores. Some of the things that they highlight are that the benefits give customers, buyers, something to go back to. If they, if you have a store and a buyer had a good experience with your store, they can save your store to go back and buy items later. If you don't sell in a consistent category, that may not be as useful. I've talked about this before on this show that for me, I get a lot of repeat business because I particularly target the same types of things, the model railroad magazines, the CDs, the DVDs, the records, old history books, those kind of things. So I have a consistent flow of inventory going into my store of new items like that. So it would be beneficial for a buyer who likes that sort of thing, who had a good experience with me to save my store and to be able to come back repeatedly. So that's one of the advantages. Um, eBay claims they provide store sellers with additional support and so on. Um, really interesting article. They claim that they are going to continue to try to grow and develop the store's platform. They have made changes and optimized it for the mobile app over the last year, having finally come to the realization that a lot of folks are shopping on their phones. So really interesting article. We talked several weeks ago about how eBay has plans to allow video, which I'm sure will first roll out to stores. So there are some things cooking if you are a store subscriber over on eBay. Continuing with eBay, they have a plan to revamp their community area. This article appeared on e-commerce bites. They're making changes to their community structure uh, over the next week or so, some of the changes are eliminating nested dropdowns as much as possible, eliminating the current knowledge-based dropdown completely. Uh, those boards will actually be retired. They're going to change the name of some category and board names for clarity and add the addition of a t- off-topic area to house community connection threads, reducing the number of pinned posts. Um, They claim that these changes will make it a lot easier to find information and relevant threads on their community boards. There are currently uh, plans to also revamp eBay groups. There are currently, according to this article, over 300 groups, and some of them have not had any activity in a very, very long time. CNN Travel had a really fascinating article on a couple that bought a World War II ship on ebay uh apparently this this gentleman one of his hobbies is to scroll through ebay looking for old ships he has bought smaller boats apparently in the past and rescued and renovated them they discovered a world war ii ship that popped up on ebay back in january this is over in britain uh it was a 72 foot motor vessel built for the uh, uh, uk's royal navy in 1943 And apparently it was stationed close enough to their home that they went and looked at it and decided to buy it. They paid 6,500 pounds for it, about $9,140, according to the article. The ship known as L-1392, while it was used for harbor defense, and they planned to save it from being scrapped. Uh, The gentleman's wife says, I didn't really want a ship, but when I researched the ship's history, I realized that it's a really significant boat, and there's not many of them left in the world. It was heartbreaking she said, to see her so neglected and abandoned, it pulled on my heartstrings. 
Apparently, over 400 of these uh, harbor, harbor defense launch ships were built during uh, World War II, and there are not many of these left. So this ship actually participated in the D-Day invasion of Normandy. It has gone through several different incarnations and be, been recommissioned and changed into a travel ship and all kinds of things before being decommissioned entirely in 2013 and falling into a state of disrepair. Uh, she goes on to say, if it was a World War II era plane, it would already be in a museum, but ships are not held in the same kind of romantic esteem, I guess. So this thing just kind of sat there and rotted away. So they've bought it. They plan to preserve it. They, they're apparently still discussing exactly what they want to do with it. Uh, her husband apparently wants to uh, make it a kind of a cruise ship and retire and go sail the Mediterranean. So good on them. They actually have started a YouTube channel called uh, Ship Happens. There's a link to it in the article chronicling their discovery of this ship and to chronicle going forward their restoration of this ship. So really interesting article. Uh, Amazon and eBay would face counterfeit liability under a new bill. These platforms would face increased liability when third-party vendors on their site sell dangerous counterfeits under a bill that's currently being discussed by a U.S. House panel. To be shielded from this liability, the bipartisan legislation would require platforms to take such steps as verifying manufacturer identity and permanently banning repeat counterfeit vendors. The bill is limited to knockoffs that pose a health risk at this time. Things like exploding iPhone chargers, non-functional PPE, and that sort of thing. Um, Daryl Issa, a Republican representative of this panel, said the bill is narrow because it only deals with health and safety. In a perfect world, we would deal with all counterfeits, including, quite frankly, those fake Gucci handbags. Right now... As it stands, online marketplaces are only required to take down listings that have been reported by the brands. This is much more lenient than the liability structure for actual brick-and-mortar retailers and removes the incentive for online platforms to proactively monitor counterfeits, said uh, Judici Judiciary Committee Chairman Jerry Nadler. So this has bipartisan support, and I would expect that this or something like it will probably pass. So what are some of the things that you might deem dangerous that these platforms want to deal with? There's an article on a Fox TV channel. Uh, man tries to sell live World War II bomb he found on eBay. Uh, he was out with a metal detector, found this live World War II era German bomb, found it on the side of a grassy knoll, and took it home rather than calling the authority. He found a bomb <laughs> uh, and decided to take it home and put it up on eBay. Uh, he had it listed on eBay as used but in good condition. <laughs> uh, they had, the police had to evacuate this guy's entire neighborhood to disarm and dispose of the bomb. That's the kind of stuff that eBay is probably trying to find obviously that's not counterfeit it's just dangerous which leads me into this last little bit of news we talked about this a couple of weeks ago the bbc announced that ebay was going to allow certain regulators government regulators government agencies 
access through a portal to look for and on their own without consulting with eBay, delist listings, items that they felt were potentially harmful, hazardous, or dangerous. We talked about at that time where I personally felt that was kind of a seeding of eBay's authority for that. I'm all for eBay collaborating with these government agencies to help uncover these items. But I really believe that eBay is going a step too far by seeding their ability to be in charge of actually delisting those items. Giving the government direct access to those things, I feel like is probably a mistake. There is an article which talks about the current state of the beta pilot program that is in place that I will link to uh, in the show notes and the video description below. I will also link to an article on eBay Inc. where they have the actual press release that is out now that describes what this program is going to do. So this is definitely coming. It's already in the trial phases. In and of itself, it is problematic enough. An issue that I currently have, however, is that there are some other fairly prominent YouTube channels who have run down this rabbit hole of conspiracy about how eBay is going to use this program to share with these government agencies our personally identified information, our bank accounts, our tax ID numbers, and all that. And I find that to be disingenuous. I find it to be just wrong. I don't see any evidence of it. I have always been of the belief that I try to give people, companies, individuals, the benefit of the doubt. I worked with a friend of mine in business management who's one of his primary business philosophies and something that I try to run my business and live my life by is to assume positive intent. Assume when a person or a company comes to you with a question, a problem, a procedure, a policy, that they do it from a place of good intentions. And that eBay, in this particular case, their intention is to legitimately protect potential buyers from buying harmful or potentially dangerous items. And that they're asking the government agencies who are already in charge of regulating those things to participate in that. I happen to believe that, as I said, they've gone probably a step too far in how they want to implement the program. But I think the program itself, the the notion of eliminating these things, comes from a good place. I think the policy on its face is enough to elicit some protest from eBay sellers who don't want a third party, a government agency, to have access to those listings. However, I don't see any evidence in any of the reporting that's been done so far or in eBay's press release that indicates that eBay has any intention of sharing further information with these government entities. There's no indication that they plan to share your tax ID information or your bank account or any of that, that there would be no reason to do so to implement the policy as it has been proposed and shown in, in the public. So these channels that are, leading their viewers, and like I said, there's some pretty big, well-respected channels that have just literally gone off the deep end on this thing about how eBay is, they're leaving eBay because it's gonna they're going to share all your information with the government. I hate to break it to you, <laughs> uh, but they're already sharing 
a lot of that information with different government agencies. You know, you get a 1099, you're, all of your information is already being shared here in the U.S. with the IRS, and I assume that's the case in most other countries and their, their tax agencies. So it's, as one of them rightly pointed out, when we got into a discussion on his comment section, eBay, in their user agreement, already has the right to share that data with someone else. So I, I feel like chasing that down that path on this policy is misguided, and it misses the point that eBay is seeding just even with what they say they're giving to these regulatory agencies a significant amount of control over their site that I don't feel like they should be giving up. Maybe we'll find out down the road that they are going to share that personally identifiable information and that would be cause for alarm and protest but i for my part don't see any evidence of that in the current filings the current reporting and i just for what it's worth i feel like the channels that you're watching that may be saying that that's coming are jumping the gun and going down a conspiracy rabbit hole that is not warranted so be cautious do the research for yourself that's why I always link to my sources. I don't make this stuff up out of whole cloth and assume things that are not there. You can read these articles. You can read this press release yourself and decide what you think. Let me know in the comments below or feel free to email me and share with me your thoughts on this policy and any potential for further misdeeds by eBay, I guess, if that's how you feel about it. Again, I just don't see anything in any of the filings to date that would indicate that that is their plan. So let me know in the comments what you think of that. With that, I'm going to take a breath, take a sip of my nice warm coffee here in my uh, lovely Bugs Bunny mug, and we will be right back with a top 10 what sold on eBay and a recap of my business from last week. So stay tuned for that. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you're on Apple Podcasts and you want to do me a solid please leave me a review. That would be awesome. If you're listening anywhere else, there's a link in the show notes to my Podchaser page where you can also go and leave a review. Be sure to check me out on YouTube at Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips and follow me on Instagram at Galaxy CDs Rocks. Thanks again. For most of us, sourcing is fun, but shipping, not so much. Reselling items online is amazing until shipping turns into a full-time job. Most of us didn't get into this hustle to become shipping or logistics experts, and we also didn't think that our lives would begin to revolve around getting orders out on time. Once you reach a certain point with your reselling business, it becomes increasingly difficult to step away. Taking a break is almost impossible unless you put your store on vacation mode, which may lead to slower sales. And that's where eBliss Reseller Solutions comes in. They'll store and ship your inventory so you can focus on sourcing and finding that life balance. Finally, you can get a break from those mundane tasks. If you'd like to learn more, there's a link below to my conversation with Dave and Lori, fellow resellers and the founders of eBliss Reseller Solutions. There's also an affiliate link, which you can use to get additional information directly from eBliss and help support the podcast. Thanks for checking them out, and be sure to tell them that Ryan sent you.
All right, so let's let's do this quick business recap first. I'll recap what my week looked like, and then we'll get into the top 10 things that I sold that helped make this the week that it was. Much better week, as I said last week. For listings, I did 161 new listings on eBay last week. Yay me, that was a super, super strong week. Very pleased with that. Took my... Total number of listings on eBay up to 65.74 at the end of the week, which was a net gain of 97. So really, really good. The downside to that was I only had 64 listings last week that sold, which was down from like 76 the week before. So it was a little bit of a rough week in terms of total number of listings sold, although the final number really in terms of dollars didn't end up all that bad. 154 of those new listings also went to Mercari. There were seven auctions that I started on eBay that don't get transferred to Mercari unless they close without a buyer. That took my total over on Mercari to 2,701 listings, which was a gain of 108. Sales for the week off just slightly from the week before, 11.03 and 22 cents, which broke down. Westchester Antique Center had a, for its part, a stellar week, $76.79. Doesn't sound like a lot of money, but uh, the week before it was like 20 bucks. So I will definitely take the 76.79. Mercari was on the board for 195 bucks and eBay was well off from the week before at 831.43. However, my cost of goods sold was extraordinarily low, $29.21, which left me with a gross profit margin of 97 0.35% or 1,074 and a penny. Uh, You got to count every penny for the tax man. (laughs) Uh, Operating expenses for the week, the normal shipping and eBay and Mercari fees. I also ordered some, some supplies. I ordered some bubble wrap and some additional packing materials. So my total operating expenses for the week was 479 and 47 cents which left me with a net profit of 53.89%, so still above 50%, $594.54. So a little bit off what I try to do, which is a net pre-tax of $100 a day. But all in all, given that we were heading into a holiday weekend, um, I will take it. I was pretty happy with how last week went and all the new listings. Again, a bunch more sourcing. If you're watching on YouTube, you can probably see over my shoulder that the pile that was there last week has done nothing but grow. I was out on Saturday and had a huge day of pickups. My SUV was absolutely packed. So I've got all kinds of stuff that's being listed. If you are local to the area, I've taken probably an additional 250 odd records to my booth over at the Westchester Antique Center. So if you're interested in vinyl, particularly vintage kind of late 50s through early 80s era, pop vinyl uh there's some really good stuff over there and a lot of it is in fantastic condition and there's nothing over there uh over 7.99 so let's take a look at this top 10 sales some things that i sold that do not include live ammunition (laughs) Uh, that that still just cracks me up I don't know why you would think that would be okay, but <laughs> um, this first item, $23.99 for a Nelson Holy Bible, the King James Version, a red letter giant print 
with references. This was from, I think, the 1980s burgundy leather, really nice condition Bible. Sold for $23.99. I own it for a buck. This was an interesting one. This I picked up at a garage sale a couple of weeks ago. Two boxes full of bound Reader's Digest magazines. Reader's Digest in and of itself is not something I would probably ordinarily think about picking up. However, I have talked on this channel previously multiple times about how bound magazines, library bound magazines or personally bound magazines can bring pretty decent money. This was a situation where there were two big boxes. There were probably, I'm going to guess it's almost 50 different bound volumes of Reader's Digest from the early 1930s through the mid-1950s. Really nice sets. I bought the whole shooting match for about $35. So I've got maybe 75 cents a piece in these bound Reader's Digest volumes from, in a lot of cases, right during the World War II era. They are full of all kinds of articles about the war and the home front and really cool vintage ads for buying war bonds and so on. So it was a really pretty cool collection. And obviously I got them dirt cheap. I am selling them online on eBay and Mercari for $24.99. And I sold the first one uh, from June 1945, volume 46. Uh, This covers January through June of 1945, so the first half of the year. So this would take you right through VE Day, Victory in Europe. Um, One more sale like this, and I will have paid for the entire lot. Uh, I don't have all of them listed yet, but there are a bunch of them up there. So if you are a World War II history nut, uh, there's some really, really fascinating stuff in those books. Speaking of books, over on Mercari, I sold the American Girls Short Stories set. Uh, This featured Kaya and seven other books from the American Girls, if you know anything, if you've had a daughter, <laughs> you probably know all about the American Girls stuff. Um, highly sought after, really valuable stuff. I picked this set of books up at a garage sale several weeks ago for a grand total of $3. Sold it for $25 with free shipping. I talk about these model railroading magazines with great regularity. Here is an interesting one. Uh, This was the very first issue ever published of a magazine called the Narrow Gauge and Shortline Gazette. So this is volume one, number one from March of 1975. I got this in a lot that was, if you can haul it, you can have it. I talked about it over the last couple of episodes. I've sold some stuff out of that lot already. This magazine that I own for absolutely nothing went for $27.99 with free shipping. Uh, so it, it's hard to argue with that. <laughs> uh, here's another one. Uh, the Hobbit. This was a special Houghton Mifflin 1997 hardcover edition in a slipcase. Really nice kind of green leather bound book from uh, J.R.R. Tolkien. This went for $26.99 with free shipping. I bought this at an estate sale for 3 bucks. This was interesting. A, I was at a garage sale, I want to say it was about two weeks ago, and there was a box um, for some vintage headphones. 
I can't remember the brand. I want to say it was maybe Akai headphones, which we'll get to here in a, in a moment. I opened the box up and there were no headphones in it. But what was in there were some sealed reel-to-reel tapes. These, uh, they're not, I don't know if they're making reel-to-reel tape anymore. If you own a reel-to-reel deck, you can let me know in the comments below. Can you buy blank reels today? Uh, but it had two of these Scotch uh, seven-inch reels, quarter-inch tape, 1,800 foot. She sold me this whole box of stuff for a dollar. So I own these for 33 cents. I sold one on a best offer for 23 bucks, and I sold this one for $27.99 with free shipping. So it pays sometimes to open just random boxes, even if it's something that you think you might not be interested in, because you never know what you're going to find <laughs> uh, inside the box. In this case, it was uh, some tapes. The first CD this week. Uh, from 1998 on Go-Kart Records, Parasites, Rat-Ass Pie. This was new and sealed. It's part of the big 8,000 CD lot that I talk about pretty regularly on this show. Uh, own it for about three and a half cents, and it sold for $27.99 with free shipping. Also, from that same box that I just talked about a moment ago, there was an Akai surround sound demonstration tape. When I initially looked at it, I couldn't really find any comps on it. I eventually did find some information that some of these had sold in the past. This was, it wasn't new and sealed, but it was in fantastic shape. The box was immaculate. Um, It was a four track stereo surround demo. I don't know if this is something that maybe was used in a store or if this was a consumer level product. Either which way, I own this thing for $0.33, cents, sold it on Mercari for $32 with free shipping. That is a really nice return on investment. Another book. This is an old kind of financial advising book called Derivatives. Uh, it included a PC CD-ROM that had been unopened. This was in a big lot of books that I own for maybe $0.40 or $0.50 cents a piece was from 1998, so I don't know necessarily how relevant the information in the book still is, but somebody wanted this thing and paid $32.99 with free shipping for it. So, again, you just never know. This is why, in a lot of cases, when I go into an estate sale, if I see that half or more of the books look like they're interesting, I will just make an offer on the whole lot rather than trying to cherry pick things out because sometimes you'll score things like this that I probably would have not scanned individually. I would have just looked at and said, ah, that's financial advice from the 90s. Who cares? Here it is, $32.99 on an investment that's probably 40 or 50 cents. Uh, And now your flip of the week. This isn't particularly massive. It's certainly not as good a score as last week's 180-odd dollar flip, but a really interesting item nonetheless. The Penny Magazine of the Society for the Diffusion of Useful Knowledge, Volume 7. That is a mouthful. Uh, This was in a big lot of antique books that I own for a quarter apiece. It sold for $55. It was from 1846. It is actually a collection of magazines 
from that era. So again, the bound magazines, this is, was a thing going way back into the 1800s, obviously. Uh, this contained, I think, a half a dozen issues from the kind of early, mid-1840s, late 1830s into the 1840s. So it wasn't like a weekly or monthly magazine. Maybe it was quarterly. Uh, but really fascinating look at kind of the state of knowledge in the country in that era. I've had this thing listed for probably eight months at, I think, $59.99. I got a best offer of 55 bucks, and I went ahead and took it because I own it for a quarter. Again, not a massive flip, but you do enough of those over the course of a week, and you end up with a pretty decent week. So with that, that's been a pretty full episode again this week. Uh, thank you so much for sticking around. Thank you for coming by and viewing the channel. I appreciate each and every one of you that stops by on a weekly basis and listens to my rants. <laughs> uh, I hope you're enjoying the show. I hope you had a great holiday weekend and a special remembrance for Memorial Day. This is going to air after Memorial Day, but a special moment uh, to remember all of those who gave our gave their lives so that we can have those weekend celebrations and rant about dumb stuff like whether or not eBay is full of crap. <laughs> uh, so anyway, with that, I'm going to close it for today. Thank you so much for stopping by. If you liked this video, if you're watching on YouTube, please do me a favor and whack that thumbs up button. I don't know if it helps the algorithm or not. I'm seeing different stuff on that, but I appreciate it. It makes me feel good in my heart. <laughs> uh, and feel free to share your experiences over the last week and any thoughts that you have on any of the news or information that was shared here today. With that, a further reminder tomorrow. Yeah, this is going to be out on Tuesday. So tomorrow, Wednesday night, 9 p.m. Eastern, my good friend Brandy from My Reseller Treasure and I will be appearing, I think it will be on Derek's channel, Fundamentals of Side Hustling, on their Hump Day Hangout. So if you're available to catch that live show, please do. It's always a good time. It's very entertaining. Derek and Regina Michelle are the hosts. Um, if you're not subscribed to their channels, you should check it out. Uh, but stop by tomorrow night, Wednesday night at 9 o'clock. Uh, and catch Brandy and I live on that show. So now, now I'm really going to close it out. <laughs> uh, thanks again for stopping by. And now it's time to sell. Thanks, guys. You have been listening to the Galaxy CDs Rocks and Flips Reseller Talk podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in, and we will catch you again next time.